so if you didn't hear me, the first question was, how many people have forgotten something before, and then how many people find that frustrating? Now, I'm not talking about huge things. I'm talking about just little things that we forget. You forget where you place your keys. You forget that you, uh, once you get in the car, you start driving to work. You forget your briefcase, whatever that is. Forgetting stuff can be incredibly frustrating. Even this weekend, I had a, an instance. My wife um, had the opportunity to take a flight over to Seattle and visit her sister. She has two sisters, an older and a younger, that live in Seattle. And so she took our youngest with her. Uh, he's just about three months now, just a little bit over three months. And so she's traveling. First time she's traveled with him. First time she's traveled with a child by herself. And uh, so a lot of anticipation going into this two-day trip to Seattle. I was in charge of packing the bag into the car. So early in the morning she came and she rolled out the suitcase, uh, set it right in front of the door. And on top of the suitcase was what's called an ergo backpack. Now, for those of you who don't know, an ergo, a baby ergo is a backpack that you put a child in and you wear it around. You can wear it on your front or your back and... It's this great little contraption. Her idea was that she would wear Kempton, our son, around the, uh, the airport because she had so much other stuff to haul that this would uh, give her the ability to have her both hands free. So I get everything into the car just like I'm supposed to do. We pull up onto the sidewalk in front of the Alaska gate <clears throat> or the, the concourse there. And we have two other boys who are just over two years old now. And uh, this is the first time that they've seen mom exit the car and leave. <laughs> so it becomes an incredibly traumatic event, like in it, right away. I get Kempton out of the car. I put him on the sidewalk. Kempton's not who I forgot, so you don't have to <laughs> begin to think that. <laughs> put him on the sidewalk um, as she kind of goes back into the back seats and begins to say, you know, tell the boys that she's going to go and visit um, aunts and, and all this stuff. And they are just, I mean, it's, Kempton and I are the only two people not crying at this point. <laughs> So everybody's crying. I get the suitcase out, and I didn't realize that the little ergo backpack had fallen off. And so she gets on her way, and, and finally we just had to say, you just need to go now because it's not getting any better. And we drive off, and I receive a phone call about 15 minutes later from my frantic wife who's in the, the airport, and she doesn't have the backpack with her. And it was totally my fault. I just forgot it. It fell off. I didn't even realize it. I was trying to maintain some, sorts of, some sort of... Um, complacency just at this point, um, trying to keep things together, and I totally forgot this backpack. So now Grace is walking through the airport holding a child in one hand, a car seat, a diaper bag, a purse, and her suitcase <laughs> rolling through the airport. Needless to say, she was frustrated, uh, mainly at me, which was totally her right because that was my one job and I kind of forgot. But we forget things often. And forgetting things can be really, really frustrating. And the scripture this morning, Titus 3, 1 through 11, which we're going to read, is really a reminder. It's a scripture that reminds us of several things. And so Paul instructs Titus to remind the Cretan church of a few things. So let's begin to read. And we're going to kind of break this down into three main sections. The first one is going to be Titus 3, 1 through 3. And this is what Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign to no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. See, Paul is indicating that they were called to live a different way. Now as followers of Christ, they had to live differently. 
And these first three verses lay out the reality of their two lives, that they were once this way, but now they're called to live differently. And this distinction is made. And so he says, he begins by saying, this is who you should be. And he lists these seven things. He says, you should be subject to rulers and authorities. You should be obedient. Be ready for all good works. Malign no one. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Show consideration to all men. These are the new characteristics that they need to take on as followers of Jesus. Now, we look at these things and we say, well, that actually seems like a pretty manageable list right there. But if you think about this in the context of a persecuted church, to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be peaceable, to be gentle, to show consideration for all men, this becomes an incredibly enormous call in the lives of the people in the Cretan church. It's interesting when you read it in that light, not just in our context in this time. And then in verse 3, he contrasts those seven things with the seven ways that they used to be, further highlighting the change that Christ can make. He says, but you were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to lust and pleasures, malicious, envious, hateful, and hating of others. You see, Paul uses these first verses to instruct the Cretan church, to remind the Cretan church that they are now disciples of Christ and that therefore their lives have to look different. The second section, verses 4 through 7, really undergirds this first section. And honestly, it's the crux of the entire passage that we'll look at this morning. He says, you were called to live a different way because of the gospel and its work in your life. This is what it says. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Once again, he's instructing Titus to remind them of the story that changes lives. It's the story of salvation, the story that changed the lives of those in the Cretan church. It's the story that brought many of us here this morning. You see, again, in those first verses, he says, you need to be a certain way, not like the way you were before. And the only way that that happens is through the gospel, through the story of salvation that changes lives. And so Paul urges Titus to remind the church of the story, the story of salvation that was playing out around them, the story of salvation that plays out in our lives right now, right here. He ends in the third section by giving a few simple future directives. Again, he says, you were called to be different. It's because of the gospel. And now, don't mess it up, essentially. In Titus 3, 8 through 11, it says this, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Titus instructs them how to go forward, and really, if we wanted to sum it up, he's saying, don't mess it up. 
Remember our great story of salvation. Remember how the gospel has changed our lives. And then go forward and just don't screw it up. The story is trustworthy, it says, and that they should be confident in its effect in their lives. The story should be, uh, should be leading to good deeds. Scripture says so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. The gospel cannot return void, he's saying. You cannot passively accept it, but you have to actively engage it and extend its hope. And then he says, be weary of those who will lead you to destruction and avoid getting lost in the foolishness of doctrinal wars, theological disputes, and spiritual arguments. These three sections come together to essentially say, you know the story, you know who you were, you know who you need to be. Now just don't mess it up. Titus 3, 1 through 11 is really about a couple of reminders. The section actually starts with the phrase, remind them. And in the Greek has the connotation of go on reminding. It's not just something we do once, but it's something that begins to become a continuous effort in our lives. Paul's indicating the need for Titus to continue to remind the Cretan church of certain things, the most central of which is how the gospel has changed their lives. You see, when the truth of the gospel is forgotten, we begin to lose our way. I had a good friend named Ryan, who I spent uh, a couple of years with in Coeur d'Alene. He was a high school student. I actually met him because I helped coach his soccer team. Ryan uh, is one of those guys that you're just naturally, adra- uh, naturally drawn to. Just a, a really nice person. He was humble. He was gentle. He was a great leader. He didn't come from a faith background. His family wasn't, uh, didn't really go to church. They would go to a Catholic mass every now and again uh, on the big holidays, the Super Bowls of Christianity, Christmas and Easter. So that was really his entire experience. And so Ryan and I began to hang out. We began to share life. He got involved in Young Life and through uh, our relationship and and through a a kind of a community of other high school students that came around him, good friends that came around him, he actually began to trust Christ and follow Jesus. And this guy was on fire. He wanted his whole life to be about Jesus. He began to live differently. He began to make different decisions. His passions and interests began to change for things that were honoring to the Lord. As he neared graduation, he, uh, he began to apply for schools and he got into the University of Idaho. Now his family had had a long tradition of going to the U of I, and so this was a very exciting reality for him. And his dad specifically had been um, involved in the Greek system at the U of I. And so he really felt like it would be good for his son to be involved in the Greek system and, and to, to really pursue that as a, as a way to socially engage in college. And so as Ryan and I began to process what that might look like, we sat down and talked about the pros and cons and, and maybe the struggles that that would present and frankly just the struggles that college presents in general. And ultimately we came to the point of saying, Ryan, you, I mean, you just got to choose. You got to figure out what you need to do and what's best for you. And so within a a couple weeks of school, it was evident that he was going to be in a frat. And uh, over the course of the last two years, he's completely lost his way. He's had several different run-ins with the law. He's been near death on at least one occasion from alcohol poisoning, was found passed out on the side of the street. 
by some random person walking, and they took him into the, the emergency room and, and honestly saved his life in that moment. He's had a string of unhealthy relationships. He's completely disengaged from his good friends in Coeur d'Alene. You see, we lose our way fairly easily. Ryan had forgotten what he wanted to be. Ryan forgot the truth of the gospel and how it changed his life. Ryan has forgot the story. And I still love Ryan dearly. And his friends still love him very well. But he's forgotten the story. And because he's lost his way. As I prepared for this this weekend, or I'm sorry, this week, uh, I was reminded of how complex memory really is. It's this neurological phenomenon that honestly we don't know too much about. Like most things in the brain, there's just not much that we can understand at this point. We do know that it, deal, it deals with three things, memory. It deals with the encoding, the storage, and the retrieval of information. You can break it down to those three simple parts. We know that the average person can remember uh, in their short-term memory about seven items plus or minus two. If you've taken any sort of psychology class, you've heard that many times. Seven plus or minus two. So if you have a list of about ten things, likelihood is that you won't remember them all. If you have a list of about seven things, seven things, the likelihood is that you'll probably remember all of those things. We know that when we forget, one of four things happen. Either you have a failure to retrieve the information, the inability to retrieve whatever piece of information is in there that you're trying to get at, you may have interference, meaning that a new memory has most likely replaced an old memory, and so you've lost that. There's something called motivated forgetfulness, and oftentimes we see this in, uh, in people that have experienced some sort of traumatic event or abuse uh, in their lives that they actually, in their subconscious, are motivated to forget those very tragic events. Or you have the failure to just simply store the information meaning you have the inability to move something from short-term memory into your long-term memory. It's just a failure to store. And when I read that, it began to all make sense to me. Because we are a short-term people. We are a short-term memory people. We can barely remember the menial things amidst our frantic lives. And so I'm convinced after reading that, that we have a failure to store the truth of the gospel. Not simply the information behind it, not simply the facts about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, but the actual life-changing truth of the salvation story. And so like the Cretan church, we need to be reminded of this often. We need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel often. It's this storage problem that really makes Paul instruct Titus to remind the church in this way. He says, Titus, retell the story. You see, we tell and retell stories so we don't forget. We tell and retell stories so that we allow the truth to settle deep within our hearts. Have you ever wondered why little kids want to hear stories over and over and over again? I'm the proud uncle of five nieces and nephews. Three nieces, two nephews, so five total. I love these kids very, very much. They're all in kind of their uh, elementary school years right now, and it's not un, uh, uncommon where we're together where they want to hear the story of how they were born from their parents. And so as our families get together, 
It's often that they come and they say, hey, Mom, tell that story of when I was really little or tell that story of how you and Daddy got prepared to go to the hospital or tell the story uh, of how chubby I was when I was a baby. And they love to look at pictures and they love to rehear these stories. And so they're told over and over and over again. My youngest nephew and the youngest of the five, his name is Oliver. And this is one of, those, um, one of these kids who is a little too old for his age at some point. He's just sharp. The kid is really sharp. Not that the others aren't, but, uh, but he, is, he is incredibly sharp. And Oliver, one day, when asking, um, asking his mom about these stories, kind of paused for a moment, and my, my older sister's name is Carrie. He looked at my sister and he said, Mom, where do babies come from? And he was, I think, maybe five-ish at this point. And my sister seized the moment. She thought this is a great time to actually talk about where babies come from. So she didn't give the stork answer or she didn't say when mommy and daddies love one another. She said, let's actually get after it. We're going to talk about the female, female anatomy and talk about where babies come from. And so um, God bless my sister. She's fantastic. So, so as she begins to divulge this information and in, in talking about this uh, in a way that a five-year-old could understand, he stopped her. They were in the car driving. He stopped her and he looked at her and he said, Mommy, don't ever tell me that again. <laughs> you know, it's stories that define us. Stories give us purpose. They tell us and remind us who we are and where we're going. So maybe this morning we don't need to be reminded about our birth stories, but I do believe that we need to be reminded of the story of salvation. Because if we don't, if we're not continually reminded of that, we will lose our way. We'll forget who we're called to be. We'll forget who we were. We'll forget where we're actually going. As I've processed my relationship with Ryan, and, and oftentimes I've processed this with him, is again, we continue to be friends. I've struggled to think, well, maybe he never truly trusted Jesus. Maybe it never was a real thing for him. Maybe he just gave me all the answers I wanted to hear and just kind of went through the motions. But I've come to realize that that's not the truth. I've come to realize that he's simply forgotten the story. He's forgotten what Jesus did in his life. And that he needs to be reminded over and over again until it once again becomes his reality. Until he puts the truth of that story in his long-term memory. I'm persuaded that we need to be reminded daily of the gospel. We need to be a, a people that remembers the story that's changed us in the first place. And we can never get away from that. What's interesting about the church and creed is that they weren't incredibly off course. Yes, they had some issues, but they weren't a church that was wildly dysfunctional. They had issues, and, and maybe no more issues than any other church, maybe no more issues than the church that we sit in this morning with our community of faith. I think in a similar way, because we don't have those issues, sometimes we've allowed the complacency of our life to lull us to sleep, to get comfortable. We know the facts of the gospel. 
We can tell all the stories of Jesus. We know all the necessary behaviors of a good Christian. But have we really forgotten the story of the gospel? Have we forgotten the story of salvation? The truth that changes everything. And so maybe we need this morning to go on reminding ourselves that we were once lost and enslaved without hope and purpose, but with a loving and compassionate creator. Through his grace and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus, to be teacher, savior, Messiah, friend, and Lord. Jesus willingly endured the cross and its shame, defeating evil and freeing us, the captives. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquered death, and gave us new life, purpose, and hope. Jesus ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, but said that he would come back for us and that we would be with him in eternity. As we wait, the Father sent his Spirit to guide, train, protect, and instruct us, his people. And we were given the task as a community to establish and advance his kingdom here on earth. Maybe we need to be reminded that we are loved, that we have been saved, that we have been redeemed, that we have been given new hope, that we have been called into ministry, and that we are a part of his kingdom. You know, this morning, I was a little worried about the sheer amount of stuff that just had to fit into this hour and a half long service. And honestly, if I, if I was really transparent with you guys, if I was sitting in your seats, there would have been uh, probably times that I just tuned out because I wanted to get to the real stuff of church the talk, and the worship. So the announcements I would have tuned out, or maybe the baptisms, maybe the elder uh, induction here in a moment, tuned those things out to just prepare myself for the talk. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this morning is really a reminder for us. This morning is a time of remembering. In baptism, we remind the community how Christ is constantly changing people's lives. We're going to do a child dedication in the next service. And in that, we remember and we celebrate the miracle of life. And we commit as a community of people to support this family and help raise their child. When we induct our new elder in a moment, we, we're reminded that God has a plan for the church and that he's called people to help steward its movement. You see, this is not simply business as usual this morning. It's incredible what God is doing in our midst. This morning was about being a family. This morning is about the church being the church. And so I hope that we realize this morning that we are treading on holy ground as we see people make a public declaration, as we induct new people into leadership, as we bring a child into our family. My hope is that these things this morning would have all, been, would have all helped to go on reminding the community, us, of the bigger story that we're a part of.
Let's pray.